Good morning, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and I'm here actually today to introduce you to the person who's going to be preaching for us. Um, but before I do that, I just want to make a quick, we're trying to do this every week. Um, as Hillary said, Lent, every week we're trying to connect to Jesus and seek him and go deeper with him in a different way. And this last week was about connecting to Jesus through creation. So I just want to ask, like, were you able to do that? Um, did you get outside? Um, I know for me, I had a couple of instances that were particularly powerful um, one, I was on a run in the evening, and I realized how when the sun, like the sun goes down and it gets dark slowly. And I thought, it's interesting that it's not like a light switch, you know, light to dark. It's not a, it, God doesn't just turn off a switch, but the sun sets and we can watch it setting and it slowly gets darker. And as I was just thinking about that, saying, God, like, what do you want to teach me about that? And it reminded me of the discipline of God or the judgment of God, that it very, it very often comes slowly. Like God doesn't just crush us when we step out of line, but he kind of warns us and we can perceive that he's getting farther away sometimes. We can perceive that, um, I guess it just hit me how gracious God is, that he's patient with us. And even when he wants to correct us, even when he wants to bring us back, the darkness slowly comes sometimes so that we can not have to experience the full darkness and then come back in repentance. And um, so that was a powerful moment for me this week. Again, one that I probably wouldn't have had if we weren't on this journey. And so again, I want to encourage you, join with us for the rest of Lent. Um, this week, it's going to be, we're, we're going to be pursuing Jesus through theology and as I was thinking about this series and this week in particular, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to have some other voices come in? And I thought about, like, who could I invite to come? And I thought about Brian Tallman. Brian is the pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in La Mesa. So just he's, he's our neighbor. Um, Brian and I have known each other for, gosh, I feel like first time I saw him, I was in seminary back in, like, the early 2000s. I went to seminary with Brian's wife. And so, and Brian was on campus off and on then. So I, I met him then, but I've gotten to know him since I've been here at Harbor. So I've known him for probably as friends for about 10 years. Brian is an incredible theological mind. Um, and he's perfect, I think, for this topic because he doesn't all, he, he's not just a penetrating exegete of scripture. Um, he's not just someone who understands theology and how it works, but he's got a pastor's heart. And so I think you're going to experience both the stretching of your mind and also the warming of your heart as he comes and opens up God's word for us. And so, Brian, thanks for being here. Come on up. And as you come, um, let me pray. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for drawing near to us and for revealing yourself in so many ways. We pray now for Brian that you would um, speak through him to us. And I don't just want to pray for Brian, but I want to pray for us, that we would hear you as, um, as your word is open, that we would see you in all of your glory, so that we might know um, how much you love us and draw near to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Stephen was saying all those nice things about me, I'm thinking to myself, you don't get out much, do you? <laughs> Speaking of not getting out much, um, as I was reflecting on the invitation to be down here with you and bring you, to bring you greetings from our church in La Mesa. Um, I've been at our church in La Mesa for 15 years, and 
I think this is the second time in 15 years that I've been worshiping at a sister church, in our, so, which is to say not very often. And I guess I don't get out very much. And um, so it really is a privilege to be here. And uh, also a privilege to be downtown. I'm born and raised down here. And every time I come down here, uh, it, it's just growing. And, and we'll pray for your church and that you'll be a light uh, to the city as it continues to grow and expand. My daughter Victoria is with me this morning. My my youngest, um, we're juggling some things. My wife's out of town, and so I've got some at our church, and my daughter youngest is here. But she does have a question maybe some of you can help answer for us. We drove around a little bit. We were a little bit early this morning, and we saw, if we had a nickel for every yellow bike that we saw, we would be we would have a lot of nickels. And then we saw some green ones as well. So can maybe some of you... Tell us what's going on with the yellow bikes and the green bikes because that's new to us. We kind of live out in the country, so um, we're not used to seeing bikes like that uh, all around. Um, I want to direct your attention this morning to God's Word and specifically to Matthew chapter 3 as we think about loving God with all of our mind and what that looks like and how God makes us and molds us as we think about him and think thoughts after him. I want to begin reading at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 at verse 13, and then we'll read through uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Let's, let's give careful attention to these words. They are the very words of God. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus... It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship The Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way Of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them 
a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to think with you this morning about the ways in which you're pursuing Christ and pursuing God during this time of Lent. Stephen and I met earlier this week to talk, uh, last week to talk about um, what you're thinking about during this time of Lent. And I was, I was really encouraged. Uh, our family and many people in our church also are, are giving things up for Lent. Um, and most of the things that we're doing are by abstention. Um, the things that we're not doing, the things that we're avoiding, the things that we're giving up. So it was particularly encouraging to think that we're also giving, giving things up, getting rid of stuff, but we're also replacing those with new disciplines and new habits. And so hopefully you'll be encouraged this morning to think deeply about God and, and Christ and um, be encouraged uh, to do that maybe more than you're doing right now. Um, it's going to be tough to preach here with Legos all over the ground. Whose kid is that? Um, I have a friend who owns a jump rope company. That's right, a jump rope company. He actually makes jump ropes. And he actually makes a pretty good living doing it as well. And they make some of the best jump ropes in the world. I mean, if you want to buy one of their best jump ropes, you're going to spend 120 bucks for a jump rope. I mean, expensive jump ropes, good jump ropes. And he's a friend now. I met him at the gym that we go to. And he is a guy that travels all around the world and does clinics for jump roping. He works with the USA boxing team and works with the USA wrestling team. And if you see him, he's got a wonderful physique and he's in tremendous shape. And we were in the gym and, and our class was about to start. We were chit-chatting and the trainer, um, the trainer of the class, uh, the coach of the class started to tell everybody what we were going to be doing and we were continuing to talk and he paused and he said, hold on a second, we really need to go over there and listen to what he's saying. He said, because Brian, we can always learn something. And it was like a life lesson for me that I took away from that. Here's a guy at the pinnacle of athleticism, at the pinnacle of, of his sport, and yet he's pausing to listen to somebody because in his mind he can always learn something, he can always be better. And I took away from that, at least for me personally, that the need to try to listen better, to learn more, and hopefully... That is exactly what you'll be doing during this week as you seek to go deeper and deeper in your understanding and in your devotion and in your walk with Christ. That's, that's my goal this morning, a similar theme, a similar way, not necessarily rooted in, in bodily exercise, of course, that's profitable to a little degree, but something more important, godliness and thinking about Christ and his gospel. Now, the text that you just heard read, um, at least Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, is the classic Lenten text. It's the text that everybody appeals to during Lent. Jesus was, was tempted for 40 days, and so there's this period of time beginning at Ash Wednesday and, and leading up to Easter, it's 46 days. I was happy to see that Stephen mentioned that. Not a lot of people know that in the bulletin, and we do get six cheat days, as you put it. I like that. Um, six days to take a breather. But that 40-day period is drawn from this temptation of Jesus when Christians around the world will pause and, and give things up and pursue new disciplines. I want to kind of take that text that you just heard read and make some applications with respect to what you're doing here this week with disciplining yourself to learn and to think and why it's important. I guess my goal this morning is 
to whet your appetite a little bit so that you might leave here and think that is uh, really important for me to be here on Wednesday for the boot camp. That, that will change the way that I think about the world and the way that I think about my life. Um, the first reason that you should pursue learning and pursue theology and pursue God through his word and through uh, texts that have been written throughout history is that when you do, it helps you to understand who God is. Um, notice as you take a look at chapter 3 of the text, we began with Jesus' baptism. And there we have a very important picture of God, one that you'll be drawing on this week. We have a father who is speaking from heaven, a son who is sent and who is going into the waters of baptism, and a voice, a Holy Spirit, who is speaking and descend, or who is descending as the father is speaking. We find a very interesting picture of God as we seek to understand him here in this text, one that people have a difficult time of grappling with. I don't know if you noticed how chapter 4, verse 1 began. Then Jesus was, in some of the most sobering words in all the New Testament, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of Christians who are more like Buddhists or Hindus than they are like Christians. I meet a lot of Christians who are more like Buddhists and Hindus than they are like Christians because they believe that when everything is going really well in their life, that God is pleased with them. And that when things are going really, really bad in their life, that God is upset with them. I want to remind you of Matthew chapter 3. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Then... He leads Jesus into the wilderness. Just because you're struggling and just because you're going through difficult times doesn't mean that God is upset with you or mad with you. And just because everything is going rosy doesn't necessarily mean that he's smiling down on your life and your behavior. Jesus being led into the wilderness challenges all of this. Jesus as he is there, tempted by the devil, begins to engage with the devil in a very curious sort of way. We find him on the pinnacle of the temple. We find him up on high mountains. We find him in the desert. One does wonder whether or not he's being transported all over the place. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. It would be quite a walk for him to go from the temple to the mountains and back. But whatever's taking place, a curious exchange between him and the devil. And every time the devil tempts him, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and appeals to the very nature of God in order to resist the temptations that the devil brings his way. He says to Jesus, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus counters with a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8. From the history of the people of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years. And he says... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he hearkens back to that 40-year period when God provided manna, and he provided food for them. And Jesus is saying to the devil, I understand God. He led me here. He will provide for me, and he'll provide for me in his time. His leading into this desolate wilderness can be trusted. He says, secondly, that his promise can be trusted. His simple words that 
He is God's son is enough. He doesn't need to test God. He doesn't need to tempt God. Maybe, maybe you don't want to admit this. Maybe we can, we can think about it a little bit more distant from us. But have you ever met someone or perhaps you've had a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or maybe even a spouse that's really, really, really needy and that fishes for, for compliments and fishes for things for you to tell them how, how happy you are to be friends with them or how happy you are to have them? They kind of put you to the test so that you'll say nice things. And it, 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 it does deplete you when you're in relationships like that. It's taxing. It's one way. Jesus is saying to the devil, I don't need to test God. I don't need to say to God, well, I'm going to jump off this building to see if you really love me. Jesus is saying, what God said at his baptism, you are my son, is, it's enough. And then takes him up to this this high pinnacle and he says, if you'll just bow down to me, then you can have all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, he's saying, if you just shortcut the cross, if you just just cut out the Good Friday that you're going to be celebrating, if you just move past that, and then you can move into glory, you can move into Easter without that. And Jesus is saying, no, God's plan will not be short-circuited. God's plan will not be dealt with like a shortcut, even though it involves the despicable thing that Jesus is moving toward called the cross. Devoting ourselves to learning, devoting ourselves to theology, devoting ourselves to God's word, devoting ourselves to reading church history and thinking through the way Christians have always acted and and lived teaches us about the nature of God. We understand who he is and it allows us to interface better in temptations and with people that surround us. Secondly, it allows us to understand ourselves as well. It allows us to understand what God said about us, just like what he said about Jesus in his own baptism. And then to appeal to that whenever we are struggling, to appeal to that when we're doubting. God said things about me in my baptism. He said, you're my son, you're my daughter. I was perusing your website and um, looking at what you've been thinking about and, and trying to get a feel because I've never been to here to worship with you. And I noticed that there was a number of, of sermon series, a number of sermons recently on baptism. And it's a good reminder for you of what God has said to you in in your baptism, the promises that he made to you in your baptism, and that you can go back to those promises, those objective promises, and lay hold of those in the very same way that Jesus does here in the wilderness. As he hears in his mind ringing over and over and over again, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. That juxtaposition as we noted earlier is even more dissonant when we consider the fact that he leads his son into the wilderness this is God's son if you're God's son the devil says to him twice if you're really God's son do you think that God would would treat you like this you ever feel like that if you're really God's child do you really think that God would allow this to happen to you And those are the temptations that we face. So passages like this 
And God's word remind us about who God is, his nature. They remind us about who we are and what God has said about us as Christians. Reflecting on these truths, learning, thinking critically, help us to navigate our circumstances as well. They help us to understand who God is, who we are and what he's called us, and also to help us to navigate our circumstances. One of the things that I've learned is that people generally take up the mantle of a theologian when they're going through a time in the wilderness. For whatever reason, when things are going really well and life is really, really rosy, oftentimes people put the discipline of thinking critically about God and themselves to the side. It's just like, everything's great. It it, it just passes over, move to the next day. But when things are really, really rough, people start to ask difficult questions. I opened up my calendar from last week and I looked at the different things that I was able to meet and talk with people. On Monday morning at 8 o'clock, I met with a man who has just cheated on his wife. And they're wrestling through what forgiveness looks like and what reconciliation looks like. He's becoming a theologian now. She's becoming a theologian as they walk into the wilderness. At 11 o'clock on Monday, after I finished meeting with my staff and my interns, I met with one of my interns who's just about to finish seminary and he's looking for a job. He's moving into the wilderness of not knowing where the door is going to come. He's got a family, a beautiful family. He doesn't know how God's going to provide for him. He's becoming a really, really good theologian as he dwells on God's provision and God's grace. I met on that same day on Monday at 12.30 with an individual who's wrestling through the nature of God. What's God like if he does exist? He is ironically living with a Christian young lady who is pressing him to become a Christian and he wants to know more about this Jesus that he's heard about. Three o'clock that same afternoon, I met with a family whose child has packed up and moved out, who won't return the texts, won't answer the phone. They want to become theologians. They want to know what they did wrong, what they could have done differently, what they can do to get their son back. I met with an individual who just retired. He wants to know what the rest of his life is going to look like. I met with a business owner who is wrestling with declining business. I met with an individual yesterday who's packing it up and moving across the country to a place that they've never been before. All these people are wrestling through life and God and themselves in the midst of their own wilderness. I've had a... um, a really easy, simple life. Um, For whatever reason, I haven't had to face too much personal tragedy. As a pastor, you always face tragedy. So you kind of wonder when that shoe's going to drop. Always feel like it's right around the corner. But after my um, freshman year of college, I entered into a wilderness where I began to think about God and myself and ask difficult questions in the wilderness. I wasn't always as good-looking as I am now. Um, For the first 20 years of my life, I actually had hair, and I have an autoimmune disorder where I lost all my hair. 
And you think that women are particular about their hair. I have a secret, ladies. Guys really, really, a lot of guys at least, really worry about their hair. They worry about balding. Some people color it. I've got guys that I know that put plugs in their hair. I mean, the guys in their hair can be a real issue. And for me, it was. I used to cry myself to sleep at night. I thought my world was coming, crashing down as something as silly and simple as that. And yet God takes us into those places and he turns us in, whether we want to or not, into theologians. As we wrestle through the wilderness, circumstances, God, our lives, and ourselves. Perhaps most importantly during these times of reflection and thought, we come to understand our Savior better and we come to understand his gospel better. We come to ask questions and come to understand that when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he was like Adam, but he never failed like Adam. He was like Israel, but he never grumbled and complained. And we read a passage like this and we say to ourselves, thank you, God, that you gave us a Savior who's perfect and who never sinned and who never failed, who always lived for you in exacting obedience to the very word of God. We understand about God better when we reflect on theology and learning. We understand about ourselves. We understand how to navigate our circumstances. We understand the gospel and our Savior. And then the reason that I wanted to read those following verses after his temptation is we also understand our vocations and callings. I think you're going to talk about this next week, service and in, in, in reaching out. Jesus, immediately after he's baptized, he's thrust into the wilderness, and after he exits the wilderness, the very first thing he does, verse 17, is he begins to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I do think that one of the reasons that we're not better citizens, better neighbors, is because we're not very good theologians. Because we're not very deep thinkers when it comes to the neighbors that surround us and the way that God wants us to reach out to them. The Lord Jesus is baptized, he's thrust into the wilderness, and then he immediately emerges from the wilderness and he begins to take upon himself that divine vocation, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a million topics, maybe not a million, that's a preacher exaggeration. There's a lot of topics that you could explore even from a text like this. You could think about the Trinity, as I mentioned. You'll be doing that on Wednesday. You could think about baptism. You could think about why the church split in 1054 over a little clause, the filioque clause, and the son that was added to the Nicene Creed by the Western Church that divided all of Christendom. You could think about that. You could think about the question that I used to wrestle through in the early days, could Christ have sinned? We call that the peccability of Christ. What are the implications if we say that he could? What are the implications if we say that he couldn't? Think about the natures of Christ. Was he actually a human being? Was he actually tempted like we are? If so, what are the implications of that? 
Think about suffering. How he handled it. How we handle it. How we face it when it comes our way. We could think about how important it is that Christ not only died for us, but that he also lived for us. How important it is that he lived those 40 days in the wilderness and did not sin. Think about the fact that his life is equally important as his death. Because that perfect life is then given to us so that we can stand before God as being, as being perfectly righteous. May God bless you and bless us as we continue to pursue Christ. To love God with our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And may he continue to make us and conform us into his image. Join with me in prayer. Father, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you'd bless Harbor City in their pursuit of Christ during these days. Pray that you would continue to mold us and make us, conform us into the image of Jesus. Pray all this for your glory and for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray.